Welcome to a football show here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. Normally, this is where I would say, uh, Zach, tell everybody what, what they should push. Push all the buttons, subscribe, rate, review, all that great stuff. Uh, Zach Lyons of the Football and Other Efforts podcast, however, is on the COVID-19 IR list. Uh, we're not sure when we're getting him back. It's day-to-day. We're going to have a lot of testing protocols. We'll see when he's back, hopefully, on Thursday's edition. Welcome to the Monday edition. And that other face you see right there is Easton Freeze. Easton, the Hot Read podcast, of course. You can follow him on Twitter, at Easton Freeze. And, of course, you can read all of the scribings at Broadway Sports Media. See, that intro, Easton, was quite easy for me, considering it was like comic, kind of the same as Zach's. Like, it's just Broadway Sports Media, great writing. Got the podcast about the Titans. Go check it out. How are you, man? I'm great. It's right. It's all it's all the same stuff. Um, I'm really excited to be here. I'm particularly excited to be cashing Zach's game check for today. Uh, we can talk <laughs> about that for later. Uh, but yeah, I'm excited to be here. Happy to join the pod. And uh, I, I, you know, have been pushing what y'all been doing, getting this show started the last couple of weeks. And, um, you know, I'm excited for the, the show and excited to be a part of the show. I figured I might be on at some point, but uh, like four episodes in was not um, not on my bingo card. But here we are. This was not planned on our part either, because normally we'd be in the Cast Collective studio over there on the heart of Nashville and Music Row. Erin uh, Dugan and her company do a great job. If you have a small event, uh, you know, if you want to do a work party, anything like that, um, special event for, you know, uh, you got birthdays, you got weddings, anything you could possibly imagine. Cast Collective is the name of the studio at cast underscore collective on Instagram. You can shoot her a DM if you want, if you're interested in using that space. So go check that out. Of course, we are brought to you every single Monday and Thursday, 1 p.m. Uh, across all the platforms, which again, turn all the notifications on, click all the buttons. We really appreciate your support. We are, of course, brought to you by the Kingston Group, Nashville's locally owned custom home and remodeling firm. Buildkg.com is the website. If you're going to make decisions that cost you six figures, I'm sure you should be consulting people to make smarter decisions about your house. So just give them a call. Buildkg.com is the website. We're going to touch on, we'll start today with sort of an AFC South look. We've got some news about the Bills Titans game, we've got a news about a potential free agent that the Giants just let let go. And we're going to get into some free agents that we think, Easton, that you know we might think the Titans should go after. Uh, we'll dive into some of the name, image, and likeness chaos. I know people, are their eyes get a little glossy <laughs> if they glaze over <laughs> yeah. when you start talking about name, image, and likeness. So I'm going to try to boil it down for you guys, explain exactly what the SEC is trying to accomplish in all of this. We'll do that a little bit later on. And of course, we'll define what success looks like for Josh Heupel and the Tennessee Volunteers in year number two, because it's a very different situation for Hypel and the Vols going into year two than it was in year one. So we'll get to all that today on the show. Again, at Easton Freeze, the Hot Read podcast with you and James Foster, broadwaysportsmedia.com, all that great stuff. Zach will hopefully be back on Thursday. Do, do we need to have people tweet at him things? Can we come up with something extremely random? Like to tweet just that Jack White is better than Dan Auerbach. Can we do that? Just have people tweet at Zach some random music stuff about how the Black Keys and the Foo Fighters are not not that great. That's a pretty good, um, pretty good choice. Another option would be if you have any uh, like late breaking, um, s- specifically superhero or comic related spoilers in the <laughs> cinematic universe. If you want to tweet those at him, um, I'm sure he'll be happy to retweet them and talk about how crazy they are and and definitely um, broadcast those out because I, I could tell over the weekend, big fan of people. Not just spoiling things on Twitter, but then retweeting spoilers and complaining about them, thus further propagating the spoiling, yeah, yeah. right? So. Yeah, I believe last week on the show, we all learned that he is extremely uh, anal retentive when it comes to uh, DC versus Marvel universes, I guess. And again, as a non-expert on this, I probably yep. already screwed up that sentence. 
Um, but I respect it. I respect the commitment. And of course, the Black Keys and Foo Fighters are, are good. I'm just, I just like to make fun of him while he's not here to defend himself. Um, all right. So let's get into the AFC South. First of all, before we, before we touch on sort of the, the teams around the, the division, what they've done, how, what expectations are. There's a lot of Vegas stuff out there right now for the AFC South. Um, Bills and Titans, it was announced uh, as part of their schedule. Week number two, doubleheader on Monday night. These games have been very low scoring, very high scoring during the Mike Vrabel era, but they've been very, very good. And you right. could argue it's probably Easton the number one team in the AFC versus maybe the number three or four team in the AFC, give or take, right? So Monday night yeah. primetime game already on the books for, for the Titans. In Buffalo, yeah. by the way. It's exciting. It's um, it's the fifth matchup between these two teams in the last five years. This is round five. The series is tied 2-2. So um, I don't think these two teams will probably see each other a sixth consecutive time. So this can kind of decide. This may be the deciding game for this uh, iteration of the Bills Titans series. The Bills took the first two, the Titans in the last two, despite being the underdogs in both games, winning both of those. Um, I think, you know, Titans fans would probably be in agreement that the Bills games the last two years have been among the highlights of both of those seasons um, because both were surprise wins over a really great team. And it it's going to be interesting. I think once again, they'll be in a position where they're going to be the decided underdogs and um, it'll be a test week two into the season against I think arguably the, not just the best team in the conference, but maybe the the number one team on paper going into the year in the entire league. Um, and that, you know, the Titans, especially on the offensive side of the ball going to have a, a good bit of, you know, they got moving parts quite a bit here in the off season. They'll still be trying to gel and iron some things out by then. So we'll see uh, how they fare. It, it kind of, depending on who that first game is against the opener, it may be a situation like last year where they have two really difficult uh, opening games to start the season where they they eked out a one and one record yeah. um, but they you know based on who their opponents are this year it would not shock me at all if they have to go like you know Chiefs Bills one and two which would now, be just brutal now you said that, that this could be the last one if they both win the division wouldn't they automatically play again next year because don't don't you you play against the team that's in your slot in other um, or am I missing? Am I missing a variable or something? So you're missing a variable. It's you play the number one seed. I, I believe you're missing a variable. I believe you play the number one seed um, in in every other division of your conference except for one. So in the uh, AFC, you you play all of the teams in one of the divisions, and then you play the number one seed in I think two of the other or no, except that, that me, would be one would, of the other ones. Okay, just one of the other ones. Okay. Yeah. Well, either way, I hope they play, and I, I would say. I think you could point to that game, more importantly, that drive against mm -hmm. Josh Allen as a critical turning. I hate the word turning point, but you, I mean, it's a cliche, but it is like, if they don't make that stop, Jeffrey Simmons doesn't make that stop. Yes. Josh Allen did slip, but he still made the stop. If he makes that, if they don't make that stop, who knows what the season looks like? I think that was, that was the first game where we looked at that defensive line and we thought this group can do all the things they need to do without any blitzing, without any and they were just dropping guys into coverage and at that point Josh Allen was just torching their secondary but it Agreed. went up and down the field yep but that stop and and the sacks and the pressure they created in the second half of that game I think that's what kick-started the entire second half of the season so cannot wait for week number two Monday night game I assume they're going to get a few more um than maybe Should. usual so we'll see we'll see um, all right, we'll get into free agents. Let's get into the AFC South roundup here. Let me give you some betting odds here before I let you go on because I know okay. you had a great, you had a really good story on BroadwaySportsMedia.com about sort of the strategy behind the Titans' offseason process here. 
mm-hmm. and the draft and the free agency. And I want you to explain all that. But let me lay out a couple of odds here just based on this is DraftKings, I think. Okay. Um, Indianapolis plus 100 to win the division. Uh, the Tennessee Titans plus 150. So right now the Colts are the favorite to win the division, which I don't agree with, but that's what it is. Jacksonville plus 650. Houston plus 2,500. Um, the over under win totals for all four teams, nine and a half for Tennessee, nine and a half for the Colts, six, six for Jacksonville, four and a half for Houston. Um, and, and largely there's no other bet other than the Colts or Titans. They're basically dead even in almost every category. Uh, if you wanted to place a bet, I've got a Matt Ryan player bet. Would you like that one? Easton? Yeah. What do you got over under? And this was, these numbers were a little high for my taste, so I might take the under, but what does what does Vegas know here? Uh, Matt Ryan's over under totals for the season: thirty nine fifty for yards and twenty five touchdowns. I think if the Colts get four thousand yards and twenty five touchdowns from Matt Ryan, they're probably in the playoffs. Yes, yeah, it would be astonishing if they managed to get those numbers out of him and miss the playoffs. But um, <laughs> yeah, I, I'd say that's a fair bet. Okay, so I'll take the under on those. Uh, so I wanted to lay all that out to show you that Vegas has a big. They feel very strongly about the Colts having a better year this year and being better and being improved. I think most of us they do most, most of us agree with that. Um, before we get into the rest of the division, take us through your piece on the on the website and why you think this is sort of. And I know Predators fans don't want to hear the phrase "competitive <laughs> rebuild," um, especially on the night that they maybe sent home uh, <laughs> against Colorado. But that does feel like the case you're making for this team, the Titans, is that they are they're they're, they're treading water. They're staying. They're maintaining status quo, but at the same time, they're they're planning for a bigger move in the future, right? It is. And so, like you said, I wrote this piece, uh, came out on Friday over at BroadwaySportsMedia.com, titled, Are the Titans Rebuilding or Contending? Why the Answer is Both? And it is essentially an argument for why I believe, and this is not, um, you know, this isn't, this isn't Titans fanfic that that I dove into here. It's it's talking about what the Titans did. I, I walked through their entire draft and kind of the, the thought process behind where I think the front office is trying to take this team based on the clues that they've given us in this offseason and in this draft. Um, and so it is a competitive rebuild that I think um, I, I have, I am coining the term, the pivot as what they, I, this year is not, you know, the question is often, okay, is this a, a contending year? Is this a, a rebuild year? And I don't, I don't think it's either. I think it's a pivot year for them. Um, and I don't think every team that tries this can pull it off. It, it takes, uh, some luck, obviously great management, but it also takes specific circumstances. I think based on where you are um, in your division, in your conference within the league. And so I, I just laid out the argument for why I think the Titans are uniquely situated to be able to pull off what I think they're trying to pull off. And so when we went into this draft, the game plan seemed pretty simple collectively, the, the, the collective public game plan for what the Titans should be doing in this draft wasn't really all over the place. It was it was a couple of things, right? It was grab a receiver to pair with AJ Brown and Robert Woods. It was shore up the offensive line with a rookie or two because that was you made this argument on our podcast before the draft, the, the biggest position of need for them going into the draft and, you know, after the draft now I think is still in my opinion at least very clearly the biggest position of need. Um and then, you know, look for an impact tight end potentially and then just draft for depth, right? This is a team that was the number 1 seed last year despite having record-breaking injuries and they um you know they they handled their their division pretty decisively they still had a, a number of key pieces returning at the time again this was before AJ Brown was traded away right. when the draft was still looking the way it was going to look 
Um, it, it was a team where, okay, we're going to make some tweaks here. This is a team that's already set to contend. They were the number one seed. They handled their division. They can run it back. They've got key pieces coming back. And so the game plan seemed to be kind of similar to what the Bills went into the draft and I think accomplished in the draft. Just little tweaks here and there, get some depth, get in and out and move on. But, you know, that that game plan was set on fire, <laughs> like, right. you know, a, an hour into let, the first night. Let, let me let me I'm going to let's track down the pivot angle here for a second, okay. because and I want to we, we, we promise we're going to get to the other teams and what they've done. But the pivot angle to me is interesting because I agree that it needs to happen at some mm-hmm. point. Because again, there's going to be life post Tannehill, right? Whatever that looks like. Um, unless you think he's the quarterback to start for this team and you're John Robinson for the next five years. And maybe you think at his age, 33, 34, he could do that. Maybe, maybe not. He seems like he's in pretty good shape. Quarterbacks are playing later, whatever. Um, but to me, the entire pivot comes at that position. And if it's Malik Willis, then yes, I agree. The pivot has happened now. Mm-hmm. The pivot, the pivot decision came with the 86th pick and the decision to draft Malik Willis, and that was the pivot, right? That right that, that evolves the offense, that changes the team. But if he's not the guy, which there's probably a greater percentage chance that he's not the guy than he is a 10-year starter, then the pivot has to happen down the road, like after Ryan Tannehill, whatever that looks like. I, does that is that a fair assessment of when that pivot takes place? No, I think you're right. I mean, like pretty much all things in the NFL in 2022, it revolves around the quarterback position. And I think if the Titans had come out of this draft, having not made that selection of Malik Willis at 86 overall, the, you know, the clarity as to where this team is trying to go might be not there, might be a little bit more murky. Right. Yeah. Um, but I think that was a and, and that pick was and I talked about it in the article. That pick was really a turning point in the Titans draft um, in terms of public sentiment for for this draft i mean i think the low point in terms of um media perception as well as you know fans of of the league and of the team's perception of of the titans draft was at a low point for sure after their third selection of nicholas petit friere in the late third round and or in the early third round rather he was a guy that you know developmental they you know they finally got around to addressing their biggest position of need at, at offensive line but he wasn't a guy that is looking to be like a guy who can come in and make an immediate impact, which is what they need. And he's at a position that, you know, in the the whole line positional thing, we won't dive into that, but needless to say, it's confusing and tackle seemed to be the lesser of the two positions. They seem to need more interior offensive line help than anything, but now that's kind of up in the air. Um, But, but that fourth pick of Malik Willis in the late third kind of changed the game in, in my opinion. And you can tell me if you disagree with this, but kind of having a, a uh, an ear to the to the wall of the public sentiment of Titans fans and Titans media that seems to be the thing that's like oh I I kind of understand what this team is trying to do. I I, I agree that John Robinson saw and we talked about this on Thursday's episode. I agree that John Robinson saw opportunity and the risk and reward. I mean, again, he passed on Malik Willis three times, so right. you know it's not it's not like they thought this guy is like a surefire Hall of Famer or whatever. Like obviously they don't. So I think it was a luxury pick. And I think if they used another, if they used that pick for an offensive lineman, we'd still have questions about post, like what's the plan post Tannehill? Like that would be the the question we would ask. I still think that's more of a question than people think just because Willis graded out so highly doesn't mean Mm -hmm. that he's as good as those grades were. I think next year's draft class is extraordinarily deep. Again, we talked about that on Thursday's episode as well. So go check out the shows. Um, I, I just, 
I, I agree. See, I, I my biggest point that I agree with on with you on your argument is that the pivot has to happen. Yes, like it's gonna yeah. have it has to happen at some point. What does that mean and look like? I I, I trust John Robinson and Mike Vrabel to continue to develop a roster, develop players, build depth, and pick and choose when they go after a big piece or a big item. They've done kind of this. That's their structure, and and we'll see. I mean, Malik Willis was a calculated risk that cost you basically. Nothing. I mean, right. I don't, in the grand well, scheme, can I, of can I speak to why specifically why I think we agree the pivot has to happen at some point? Because that that's really the crux of of my argument here is you know when when the dust settled on the Titans draft, and I tweeted this out at the time, but I think it's it's aged well. I think it's eminently true. Two things were made abundantly clear by what the Titans did and what the front office communicated to us via their decisions in the draft. One is that they're way more comfortable with their 2022 roster as currently established going into the draft than than you are. Right. And by you, I mean, everybody. I think that they are more comfortable with where they are as a team than a lot of people were going into the draft. And that was evidenced by their lack of concern um, in terms of drafting for need at those positions of great need. And number two is that they aren't looking at this season with blinders on. They aren't this team. They're not the 2020, 2021 Los Angeles Rams. They're, they're not really even the 2021 Titans, right? Like they've got the future in mind and that's not to say that they're in rebuilding. And that's, that's the point here. I kind of dove into the question of how did the Titans perceive themselves trying to get inside the mind of the front office and the coaching staff, trying to figure out what, what was their thought process yeah. leading up to the draft as to what they are as a team. And so they, they, I think probably sat down and thought something along the lines of, so why, why not go all in again? Right. Why, why not? why not throw the picks to the wind, throw the future to the wind, mortgage the future. Let's go all in. Let's try to compete. What well, I mean, like welcome to the AFC South or welcome to the AFC rather in 2022. Let's take a look around. It's a nightmare in this conference. They, they don't have a top flight quarterback. They don't have the money to dramatically improve on the offense without further locking themselves into players like Tannehill that they don't want to commit to long-term. And they don't see this draft. They didn't see this past draft as the kind of draft that had guys that would be immediate big impact players the blue chippers they'd have access to to come in and make a, a huge difference immediately and so then the question is like why why not just rebuild well it, that doesn't really make much sense for this team either because although Tannehill isn't in that top tier of quarterback they clearly still believe that he's a QB capable of getting the job done if they surround him with enough help yeah and they've also got an elite defense an elite defense that's only going to get better this year I think that they're going to be a top three defense in the league and they still have Derrick Henry, like he's going to be back and healthy and he's not getting any younger. So punting on the season didn't really feel right for them either. Well, and, and Zach has alluded to this as well. Like Derrick, Hen what's Derrick Henry's long-term future with the organization? Like that's, right. we just don't, don't get on, don't get on Twitter and be like, they'll never get rid of Derrick Henry. That'd never happen. That's the same thing all of y'all said about AJ Brown. So like, yeah. it's just, this is a business and it's cruel and it's harsh. And if they think the tread is gone on Derrick Henry, I'm gonna say that position in particular, he will right? Be gone. Yeah, he will be gone. So that's I, I think that's an undervalued part of the pivot that we're talking about here. I still think I'm very happy with the Titans roster. Like I know that's not how Titans fans feel. Mm -hmm. I, I don't consider myself like a, a Titans fan per se. I look at it, I'm trying to look at it objectively. I think they're very good. I, I said I think they're a Super Bowl contender. I think they're one of the better teams in the AFC still. I don't think they're taking a huge step back. I, I think they're the favorite to win the division. To, and we can get into this now, despite all sure. the despite all the numbers that say maybe the Colts are a slight tiny edged favorite in the division based on Vegas, they're both nine and a half. 
over under, I would take the over for the Titans. I would absolutely take an, an, even even with a terribly difficult schedule. I still would say ten or eleven wins is 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 the benchmark for what this team should accomplish. I still think they're going to win the division. I, I don't like the Colts are better, but Jacksonville's better. Houston might be marginally better, so they might be tougher games. But I still think the Titans are the best team. What do you make of what the teams around them did in the AFC South? Well, first of all, in, in terms of win totals, I mean, John Robinson and Mike Vrabel have established their floor for this team as constructed. Like, it's changed a good bit over the past three, four, five years. But with them at the helm and the tweaks that they make, like the meme of nine and nine and seven, or yeah, nine and seven that is now would be nine and eight. Like, nine wins has been their floor for years and years now. So if the, the total is nine and a half wins, all they have to do is win one game over expected to get the the over there. Whereas the Colts, they have been as hot and cold as any team in the conference the past couple of years. And they've had a lot of turnover at key positions. They've, you know, they have certainly made some improvements and we can let's let's go ahead and talk about them. The the Vegas odds are always inflated on the Colts every single year. Um, the media apparatus and and Vegas, they overvalue the Colts. I think there's a number of things at play there. I think one is just the fact that they're the most established. Um, they're the most, um, I guess, like the biggest brand. Blue, yeah, they're the, they're kind of the blue blood, blue blood NFL brand in the division, right? It's it's the Colts and then three teams that you know the, the Titans organization has been around forever, it, it, but mostly in the form of the Oilers, right? Like in in terms of the Titans in particular in Nashville, it's the Colts and then three teams that are, you know, 20 years old or younger. And so these, these media talking heads, not only do they see that as, Oh, that's the blue blood. Like, Oh, it's, it's the Steelers. It's the, it's the green Bay Packers. It's the chiefs. It's the Colts. Like they're a blue blood. They're an easy, safe pick. It feels like, but they also have a, an owner and a GM who are love to be BFFs with a lot of people in the media and you, they make that pretty evident. And so that's the reason, you know, it's a, it's a give and a take. I'll scratch your back. If you scratch mine situation in terms of the talking. Well, and, and so it's a, it's a self-perpetuating well, thing. Ursa just sort of, he just like, it, like uh, attention gravitates towards him, right? Like he just sort of, he's like a vacuum that just sort of sucks in attention. Right. He's like a, he's a poverty Jerry Jones kind of. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And, um, with all with all the demons, <laughs> so yeah, exactly. And again, I don't I don't say that trying to make fun of the guy. I just mean like as a statement of fact, like he's he, he like the attention spans gravitate towards him. Whether whether that makes him a good bet or not to win games, I, that's that's irrelevant to like to that discussion. Right. But he definitely he definitely brings in a, attention for sure. So, do you want to talk about the draft classes that these teams had, or do you want to just talk generally about what expectations are for these teams? I, like, let's just focus on the Colts here, because really, because I think okay. if we want to do, let's hit Jacksonville and Houston first, then, because because the Colts are the only team that really let's matter. Get them out of the way. Agree, right? right. <laughs> I I don't think Davis Mills is the right answer long term. I I think they've drafted some nice pieces. I think Jacksonville drafted specifically to stop Derrick Henry. <laughs> yes, I think, I think some of those some of those pieces, and I think you know, addition by subtraction for Jacksonville. So I actually think I actually like the over six for Jacksonville. I could see them getting to seven wins. They've got I some talent. Well. I think Trevor Lawrence has a bounce back year, but are they challenging for a winning record? I'm not, I'm not, not, not yet. Not even close. Right. Well, I think, I, I think I agree with you on Davis Mills, not being the long-term answer. Although I do absolutely agree with their decision to, to yes. ride it out with him and, and try it. Um, I think that that was the, the safe and correct choice. I think that in his first year, you overachieve like that, you absolutely have earned a chance with some actual help around you this time, some being a, a relative word. 
um, to, to see what you can develop into. I think the biggest concern from a 10,000 foot perspective for Titans or Colts fans with these other two teams in the conference in the division rather is, is just the on paper fact that rookie QBs from year one to year two can sometimes be a really scary leap. Like the, the amount of development those guys can show between year one and year two. And then again, in, in between year two and year three can, can be pretty dramatic. And so there's a chance that one of these guys in particular, I think Trevor Lawrence, who has a competent coach now, a Super yeah. Bowl winning coach, a professional organization, if you ignore maybe the GM and the owner, and maybe you could argue that that you can't ignore those guys, but yeah. the guy he's going to be working with, the guy he's going to be working with, the head coach is definitely a, a pro and knows what he's doing and is a drum. I mean, yes, it, I agree. It's unbelievable. You cannot put into words the upgrade over his past, his last coach. That this guy is he, he knows to how to design a professional offense and work yes. with professionally paid adult millionaires. Right, exactly. And okay. so um, he's a guy who the raw traits coming out, obviously, he's a generational prospect at the quarterback position. He could totally make a dramatic leap and look like, I mean, it would not shock me if you're like, oh, it's week seven. And he looks like maybe the best quarterback in the division, like not in terms of stats, but he just looks really yeah. good. Now, I don't necessarily think that's likely to happen, but it wouldn't shock me because we we kind of forget that first year. We forget about the hype around Trevor Lawrence coming out, how good he was in college, the traits that he has. If they start to tap into that, like he's a scary possibility, I think. Now, the rest of the team around him. I think will ultimately fail him. And that's why I agree that the winning record, I don't think that they're in that yeah. ballpark, especially with the, the, the teams that, that the AFC South are going to have to play. I mean, they're not going to win a single game against the AFC West. They'll maybe go 500 against the NFC East. Um, yeah. But yeah, I don't think that they're in a position to contend with the Colts of the Titans at all. There's, there's only one team in the division that has an answer at quarterback for 10 years. That's it. That, that's how you yes. can phrase that is, yeah. like, you know, the stats might not be there. I agree with you. I think the raw talent, it's not even close. I think, you know, Matt Ryan at a thousand years old, Ryan Tannehill at like almost a thousand years old and, <laughs> right. and Davis Mills at, as like a newborn child, I, I would take Trevor Lawrence over all of them. Um, but again, that doesn't mean that Tannehill's not better this year. Like that if he bounces back in his 2020 Tannehill, he's, he's a far more productive player than Trevor Lawrence is right now. I think now, it's so. the safest bet in the world to say that he's going to be better this year because last yeah. year was so atrocious, right? Yeah. No, so, I think, yeah, I think that, I think that's right. So, that, that gets us to the Colts, which again, I, I guess for, for people that out, outside of the media bump that they get and the blue blood bump that you're talking about, just sort of mm -hmm. take that off the table. Why is why are the Colts basically dead even if not a just a, a nose ahead to use a derby reference of 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 the Titans at this stage? What it can't just be AJ Brown and Matt Ryan. Those can't be the only reasons. Um, I think the answer is that they're not. Um, I think that, that the only reason that they are perceived to be even or a nose ahead is is the, the fluff. Right. And so in my in my opinion, somebody who, you know, I'll, I'll call myself an expert on this division because it's the thing that I focus on more than most of the people who talk about it professionally. Um, people in this market know it better than anybody else. And so um, I don't think that there's anything that can indicate, oh, this team is clearly a a notch ahead of the Titans. I think that there's an argument that they're pulled even. And that argument really hinges on who you think Matt Ryan is at this point in his career, right? Um, he's a guy that, you know, has kind of fallen off a little bit over the years, although it's kind of a chicken or the egg situation with him in Atlanta, in my opinion. Was it him kind of holding back those teams or maybe more easily argued, in my opinion, was he 
like managing to keep the boat sort of afloat on those teams the last couple of years because they were so devoid of talent otherwise. Um, and so if that's the case, if those teams were dragging him down and not the other way around, he could be a dramatic upgrade over Carson Wentz in Indianapolis, in which case my question then becomes, who is he passing the ball to? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's that. I think I am a huge fan of Matt Ryan, the player for many years going all the way mm -hmm. back to Boston college. How, it, it, are we getting that same player is the huge question to your point. Like uh, is the arm the same is really what I'm asking. Cause I, I trust sort of the design from Frank Reich. We trust the backfield pretty solid offensive line. Although there's some questions, basically they're in pretty good shape on the ground. And if, if Matt Ryan's probably going to have better protection and run support than he's had his entire career in Atlanta, with the exception of maybe like a couple of Devonte Freeman years or whatever. True. True. But I, can I, I think a sneaky element of this that's not being talked about yet. And I wonder if it will at any point in this off season, the Colts are one of those organizations kind of like the Cowboys where, because they're a blue blood, I think the public perception on them is like, Oh yeah, you know, if you're going there, if nothing else, you got a you got a solid line situation. The Colts offensive line is not the Colts offensive line of the last three four years at all. It has gotten dramatically worse in the last two years. And so with Matt Ryan, a, you know the the poster boy for statue quarterbacks in the league at this point in his career, he's like if they don't, you know they're they're in a they're in a division where Jacksonville's defensive line looked better at the end of last year and they got better in the postseason. Uh, the Texans added to the defensive line situation in the offseason or not postseason offseason rather. And the Titans defensive line is one of the scariest in the league. Like if, if they can't protect Matt Ryan, what I mean, even if they added they added a guy that I think could be an immediate impact in the passing game and Alec Pierce out of Cincinnati in the draft. But other than that, it's yeah. him and it's. Who? Michael Pittman. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, sorry, him and Pittman. And then. Yeah, no, I, like, you know, I, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with yeah. you. Um, <laughs> I listen, I would take the over, I would have the Titans at like 10 or 11 wins and I would have the Colts at like nine and eight. So, which is still weird to say, like they, they will finish one it, and but... two in the division and the, the team that finishes in first will have 10 or 11 wins. And the team that finishes in second will have nine or 10. Like, I think the, the floor yeah. for them is pretty set. It's just, it's going to be like last year. It's going to be a, a race to the end and whichever team, it may be a situation where whichever team comes out hottest it's the jump. It, it's really going to depend on where those mat, the divisional matchups between those teams falls. Right. You, you, you pointed out Jacksonville's defensive line. And uh, this is really because if you're talking questions about the Colts offensive line, then we obviously have spent a lot of time talking about the offensive line questions for the Titans. Right. What's really what it, what it might come down to is who doesn't get upset by Jacksonville. It could entirely, entirely. Like, or who doesn't get upset by their, the thorn in their, I mean, like, cause the, the Titans have the past five years, they have, with without even hardly getting out of bed mauled Jacksonville, but somehow always managed to slip up to Houston and the Colts is the inverse, right? So who, who can overcome yeah. the, uh, the pesky little brother in the, the division, they, they have different uh, issues in the two teams who can overcome that and win both of their games. That might and, be the deciding factor and not lose to the jets. Um, all right, let's, <laughs> let's, let's take a look at, yeah. let's take a look at some free agents here because there, there's some questions for the Titans. We've talked about wide receiver. There's still a lot of dudes on the board for wide receiver, not as many high-level talent pieces on the offensive line. I, I think there's been a lot of talk about, are the Titans done? I don't think they're done. They've made big moves in the summer each of the last two years. I don't know if they're going to go Dwayne Brown, like Jadavian Clowney or Julio Jones. Mike Keith doesn't seem to think that they're done. 
No, and Mike Keith says, I, I believe this was on the OTP, said that they're going to probably bring in another wide receiver. But I, I, I think, again, offensive line is still a bigger concern for me. Agreed. Um, I, I just, I don't know which names fit in here. I don't know where you think. And by the way, James Bradbury, the, the corner for the Giants, was released, I believe, right. just like a few minutes ago because it's a huge cap hit. One of the better players in the in the league. So where do you think the Titans should be addressing using some resources? There's a couple different strategies here. You could nibble around the edges. You could bring in a depth piece, a Josh Reynolds type of guy. I know people have like spasms when they hear that name, but I just mean a guy <laughs> who's affordable. That is a number three type of guy at wide receiver. That would not be Odell Beckham, right? You're bringing him in to maybe play a bigger role. Um, we could talk about Jarvis Landry, who I don't necessarily think they need. Like, I don't know what he brings to the table. I'm so out on Jarvis Landry. So I, I, I think he can't a, run anymore, according to his own coaches. <laughs> like, if I'm a fan of a team that has like a number one big play guy and needs a really great supporting player, then I could see going and getting Jarvis Landry. Sure, but that's not what this. On it. That's not what this team needs. This team needs a. Yeah specialized deep threat in my opinion which to me is will fuller but that's just my opinion right i mean fuller has been it feels like he has been the popular go get him guy in titans circles for a couple of years now um the titans it it, it the reason that it's been so popular a choice um in terms of free agent acquisitions the titans could possibly make is that it does make a lot of sense right i mean he's a guy that has that over the top ability now the end of of his maybe not the end the entirety of his year last year i find pretty confusing the way he went to miami and just didn't play um he, he's a guy that over his career has has bounced around a little bit um in, ter- in not in terms of team but in terms of um his production but when he's been on if they could get that version of will fuller then he would be adding the i think the missing element to their wide receiver room that they don't currently have he's one of the names that's on the list i mean some other popular ones keelan cole um, former Jaguar, he spent last year with the Jets, had, I think, close to 500 yards, played 11 games or something like that. I looked at this, the stats. Doesn't that game. remind you of Josh Reynolds? Like, Yeah, it does. It does. And then you have Emmanuel Sanders is another one that's out there, yeah. cut from the Bills. He's, you know, a, an old, older guy, journeyman. Um, you question how much tread is left on the tires there. My biggest thing, and you asked the question, who do you think they should, or what position they should go out and potentially address? I agree with you that offensive line is really the only position group left on this team that's like blinking red the dash offensive line is like and check engine now on on their offensive line situation which is kind of terrifying for their prospects because we saw last year even if all of your star weapons are on the field it does not matter if your offensive line can't protect or it can't block at all so Um, that's the you're biggest, not, that's the thing that the Titans season hinges on, right? And like, listen, we're coming into a critical year with a quarterback who's under a lot of scrutiny, who's faced a lot of offseason questions. And what are we going to do? We're going to trade the best wide receiver in franchise history and not address the offensive line. On paper, not great. Not so great. And bold it. strategy, Cotton. Bold strategy. It, let me, let me rattle off a few names and see what you think. Just on the offensive line, because I'm with okay. you. On, I, I think that's what they need to address. Uh, Eric Flowers is 28 years old. Do you like that? I don't mind. It's it's a price thing. It's totally a price thing. I would like it if they could get him at a a reasonable price. I don't know what his contract situation was with his last team, but if they could get him at like, you know, five, six, seven million dollars on a year or two, I wouldn't hate that at all. Okay. Uh, A couple of bigger name tackles, Eric Fisher, Dwayne Brown, Nate Solder. These guys feel too expensive and old and have problems. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it doesn't really fit what the Titans are trying to do this year, right? Like their, their focus has seemed to be both in who they have cut and signed and drafted. We got to get younger and we've got to get cheaper. 
And, um, you know, coming off of a year where they had a historic number of guys on the IR and, and and a historic number of guys dressing, I think the number was 91, breaking the NFL record for number of different players dressed on a Sunday. They definitely in meeting rooms are prioritizing at the top of the whiteboard. Hey, we've got to have guys that can come in here and impact and can play on Sundays and can be there and not be injured. I mean, part of the AJ Brown situation, I think that it may be a different story if he hadn't been chronically injured with both, you know, knee issues and soft tissue injuries. And chronically is a strong word. Yeah. He, he wasn't chronically missing, but he was chronically injured. I mean, he spent entire seasons with dramatic knee injuries. Um, that he well, and and we got to be fair about the Will Fuller conversation. That's like whether it's PEDs or injuries or whatever. Yes. Like he's unavailable a lot. The the key is what he does when he's on the field, it's pretty, I mean, he's, I think he's at like 0. 0.6, 0. 0.7 touchdowns per game over the last right. four, four full seasons when he's on the field. So you kind of know what he's going to give you again, maybe it's only nine or 10 games, but you kind of know what he's going to give you, which is probably six or seven touchdowns, uh, big plays down the field, which could have totally ch- changed your win loss record. Um, totally. I, my, my only question about a guy like Dwayne Brown is again, just him. I'm going to use him hypothetically here. I don't, I wouldn't mind a higher priced free agent if it's one year deal. Like mm. if, if it's a veteran who's going to come in and you can like pencil him in at right tackle permanently. Now, is that Dwayne Brown? I, does he want to switch sides? Like, I don't know, but if you could guarantee starting right tackle yes. and, and I, and then I could take br- the, the law firm of Brewer, Petit Friere, Raidens, and just sort of like mix and match to solve the problem at left guard. I feel better about the offensive line situation. So I'm not opposed to the strategy of, bring in one guy for one year that is a proven veteran that may be more expensive. Uh, again, has to, has to fit whatever you're doing schematically needs to fit medically, all that stuff. Um, right. Uh, what about uh, Billy price, uh, JC Treader, the 27 price Treader's 31 uh, is he's a center. I don't know if that's a valuable commodity there. I, or what. I am not going to pretend to your dear listenership that I really <laughs> know enough about those two people to give an informed opinion. Right. Um, so respect. Uh, Daryl Williams, I think uh, this will sh- shout out to uh, our, our normal host, Zach Lyons. There you uh, go. Of course, he's big on Daryl Williams. He wants Daryl Williams because of the positional versatility. Right. Uh, he's 29 years old. That's what Titans definitely there. love that when a guy can move around. Yes. Uh, Bulaga, Riley Reef. Uh, oh, here's one that I caught my mind, caught my eye. Quentin Spain is available still. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have anything to say about that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I, I'm with you. <laughs> no, the answer is no. I'm with you. I saw his name. I saw him listed on one of these lists. He was like the fourth or fifth best available offensive lineman. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. According to who? I don't even remember. It was, it's not even worth bringing up. Yeah, they're um, wrong and bad. So wide receiver, it sounds like they're probably going to do that. I, I would assume they're going to bring in an offensive lineman. Any other positions you think the Titans are dipping their toe into the free agent waters here over the next few weeks, months? Not at all. They don't have the money to, right? Like yeah. they don't have the, the, I mean, obviously with, with money in the NFL, if you desperately need something, you can make the money work. And so if they desperately felt they had a big need somewhere or multiple needs th- that it was going to cost more than they had available, which is very little, they'll get a little bit of relief in terms of the cap post June first cuts, but it's not much. And they still have to sign this draft class. And so like, they've got room for like a impact guy to add, I think. Uh, maybe two if you get a, a decent deal, but um, they just, they don't have, like I said, line is the only flashing red thing. Wide receiver, I think it really depends on, I think a thing that's under talked about currently and will will be talked about more and more the closer we get to the 
the regular season, how is, is everybody kind of penciling in Robert Woods is a guy that's going to be an impact in the first month or two of the season? Because I don't think that that's really a fair assumption at all. It maybe he is, but in, in terms of history with guys coming off that injury, I mean, like maybe they need to go get a guy that they think, okay, he's got injury concerns. His history is that he plays really well and makes it through half a season and then falls apart. Well, great. If that's Will Fuller, go get him and play him for six games. Right, and he's right. awesome. And then he has a season ending injury. Great. Right. Bobby Woods is here to take over. Right. Right. I will say, and I, I and I think this was your co-host, um, uh, James Foster, who put this together on the Twitters, I believe. So I, I apologize if I get this it wrong. It probably is. Um, but watching um, watching Phillips block hmm. sure looks a lot like Sean McVay's offense. <laughs> sure, it does. Sure, it really looks, does, sure it? looks a lot like Robert Woods and Cooper Cup motioning in and then, you know, lead blocking up into the hole. Like, I don't know if he can do that in the NFL, uh, our, our little guy from UCLA, but we'll see. It's Well, I don't know what their expectations for him are. I tweeted out earlier this week that I think of the Titans draft class this year, the player most likely to overperform based on expectations is Phillips. He's a guy that's going to come in. He's going to come in despite being a lower draft, lower round draft pick. Um, he he's more pro ready than most all of the guys that went yeah. in the same yeah. vicinity as, as that. And so you had a lot of guys, professional, you know, a- analysts and scouts saying this guy's going to come in and catch like 50 balls in his first year. He could totally come in and be a dramatic impact in the slot. And if the Titans think that he will be, then they may not think that wide receiver is yeah. a position to really, you know, look into in free agency. Yeah. Yeah, I just, uh, I'm, I'm with you on the money and the cap space, which again, why James Bradbury is probably not an option. Also, you just drafted a corner, Roger McCreary, in the second round, you got Caleb Farley coming back. Like you let Jenkins go because I think you felt like you had really good a starting four. Once you got McCreary, you feel really good about your top four. What does bringing in a very expensive, uh, you know, corner do to that dynamic? And it, sure, he's a really good player, but like I don't, I don't know if he's worth the money at that point. Well, so we'll Brady, I, I promise to shut up on this. I, one last thing, I, I just have yeah, to wrap all, to tie this all up with a bow. What the Titans theme this offseason has clearly been. They let go of, of Roger Saffold, a guy that couldn't stay healthy of late. They move on from A.J. Brown, who, despite his dominance, had some health concerns. They give a ton of money to a guy in Harold Landry who never has any availability concerns. They're clearly trying to get younger and cheaper on both sides of the ball, particularly the offense, and they're trying to avoid having an injury situation like they had last year. So ultimately, any free agent move here post-draft I think that is going to be top of mind for them. I think it's what has to be top of mind for them. And unfortunately, I just don't see anybody out there right now that is clearly like, oh, that guy can make an impact and isn't going to be an availability concern. So I'm not super high on them getting a guy anytime soon. They may wait for for camp cuts and go after a guy that has a lower ceiling in terms of immediate impact, but they can trust to be healthy and available. So, you know, like uh, David Quisenberry, maybe. <laughs> or, 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 Dennis, or Dennis, yeah, Kelly. Dennis Kelly, bring him back. Dennis Kelly. Um, yeah. All right. So, so we'll, we'll talk a little college football here to, to wrap up. Of course, uh, okay. Monday edition, uh, make sure you again, check all the boxes, make sure you're clicking all the buttons, subscribing, sharing all that stuff. Easton freeze in for Zach line. Zach will be back on Thursday. Hopefully fingers crossed. And hopefully we're back in the studio. We'll see uh, about that. He's on the COVID-19 list. Uh, we're testing daily here, uh, Easton. We're testing daily and we're going to see what happens. Um, Work in progress. Uh, so it, name, image, and likeness is just in the news now. Like it's just yes. in the news at all times. And uh, like it's complete and utter chaos right now. And I know people's eyes get really, really glossy when you bring it up. I, I know yeah. that's what happens to people. But I feel like we need to explain it a little bit here. Okay. 
Okay, yeah. So I, I I'm going to defer to you a good bit on this because college football I pay attention quite a bit, but it's not my it's not my area of expertise like I consider the NFL to be. But it is yours, and so I'll kind of play the layman here. Um, it, it is a thing that I I see and it has interested me at different times in the past. It's it's certainly in the news. The folks are talking about NIL and it's a big deal, and there are big numbers being thrown around. There's also big lawsuits being thrown around now recently, and it's kind of become a, a royal mess. There's a lot of chatter about, you know, um, uh, not collusion is not the word. Tampering is the word I'm looking for. Tampering with with teams going after players, potentially <laughs> third parties, not not teams in particular, but third parties. Yep. You know, when when the when the Silicon Valley company with money to burn goes to Pittsburgh and entices a star receiver to come play for UCLA on behalf of UCLA. What do you do about that? There's it, it's a ton of money being thrown around. How do you treat these athletes in terms of, you know, are they employees that can be hired and fired? Do they have to pay certain taxes? It's a, it's a ton. I mean, it's a really complicated issue. And so that's why, of course, the NCAA has gone to the experts the United States Congress. And so, <laughs> so it's the, it's the dumbest person, you know, asking for help yeah, from the worst person, yeah, you know, yeah, talk, talk me through your thoughts on this generally and, and what you think the people like me who care about it, but don't want to get into the weeds. What's the big picture here? So the reason this is coming up again is all the conferences have had big meetings over the course of the last week, week and a half, including Greg Sankey, the SEC commissioner and the PAC 12 commissioner meeting with Congress, uh, I believe late last week, Thursday and Friday, and largely what they are scared of, what some people are scared of, is some sort of NCAA crackdown on on name, image, and likeness. Because right now, Tennessee in particular is dominating name, image, and likeness. A and M is dominating name, image, and likeness. Those of those those organizations, those schools that have spun up their collective, which is a third party set of boosters that are paying recruits to come to campus, not really directly, but indirectly through right. lots of legal ease. Basically, there's a pay-for-play mechanism now un unintentionally baked into name, image, and likeness, and they're trying to figure out what to do about it. And the key is, what's the end game to all of this? And if the end game is employee status for athletes, it just it. I don't know what happens to the model at that point. You're talking about separating college athletics from higher education. Right. Like, I, like, how do you how do you separate those two things? How can the University of Alabama have a football team and not have them be students? Like, how is that even a possible thing to happen? So right. what you have to what's fascinating is that most people, I would say fans and sort of like all of us out here in the, the media world, too. Most people are totally fine and agree that athletes deserve compensation. But most of us don't want them to go all the way to employee status, including a lot of athletes. Right. Um, because, you know, federal income, federal taxes at that point become a factor. Uh, you could be fired at any point. Like, so really the key is how do you create collective bargaining capacity for the players and give them a chance to generate revenue without, without turning them into employees? That is right. where we are. That, that's like the most succinct way I can describe what's happening. And that's the NCAA. That's the conference commissioners. That's the presidents. That's Congress. That's everybody trying to come up with a set of guidelines. Now we have some we have rumors that there are some guidelines that were put forth by the Big 12, the Big 10 and the Pac-12 or the ACC, not not SEC folks, but mm -hmm. some other conferences have come together and come up with some guidelines that they're going to push up to the NCAA and then they're going to see if that works. I 
I think this crackdown is is not possible. Okay. <laughs> I don't, Why? I don't. Well, I don't think the NCAA is capable of doing it. I don't think the SEC is on board with it because right now the SEC is using it better than everybody else. Name, image, well, the SEC is not on board with something. The NCAA is certainly not going to accomplish it. Bingo. And this is where Greg Sankey, as a leader across all of college football, has done an excellent job through almost all of this stuff, as as chaotic as it seems, whether it was the pandemic, whether it was testing athletes, whether it's this new TV contract that they just sold to ESPN, whether it's grabbing Texas and Oklahoma, like Mm -hmm. go on and on down the list. Greg Sankey is the most powerful and most equipped human to handle all of this. And he's in charge of the SEC. So rest, rest easy, SEC fans. I don't think the NCAA can crack down, but I do think if you listen to Greg Sankey begging Congress for some sort of guardrails and guidelines and restrictions or like, something you can tell that he knows that this isn't sustainable Mm. so that's the key like he's trying to figure out how to do these same things as well which is how do we create collective bargaining power for the athletes and create revenue for them without turning them into employees that's it like that's that's where we are well to me that sounds like and this is you know i'll admit that this is kind of an outsider perspective hearing this idea for maybe not the first time but but considering it for the first time, turning it over in my head, it it feels like trying to trying to merge the ideas of maintaining the amateur status of college athletics and figuring out a way to compensate them that makes sense from a logistics standpoint. Um, and that that covers the the amount, the situation with how they are employed technically and and what kind of laws and taxes apply to them there, how they still relate back, like you said, to the school itself. And then how, how to manage avoiding tampering, you know, right. Bad, bad activity. That's, that's, that's plainly bad for the sport and bad for these teams trying to square those two things. Yeah. It feels like you're trying to, to, to fit a, a, a square peg into a round hole. I, it doesn't, they don't seem compatible. And, and, and the people that are out there that are scared of this quote unquote crackdown that they think is coming from the NCAA, it's exactly right. about those third party collectives. It's that you cannot be a booster of a school and pay a, a player, even if the, and, and this is where the, the, the SEC and the collectives are like, no, 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 read the fine print, dude. There's nothing in those contracts that says you have to go to Tennessee or that you have to go to Alabama or that you have to go to a There's nothing in there. Now, how do you do an appearance at a car dealership in Knoxville when you are a student athlete at Texas A&M? So like, right. it's, it's just, they're just writing around the rules to some degree. And that's why Greg Sankey thinks that they need some, they need something. And what Nick Saban says, which almost always is true and almost always accurate, what Nick Saban believes, and I kind of agree with this, there is going to be a blanket policy that if you go to the University of Alabama, you get fifty grand a year. That's the job. <laughs> it's not you're right. not an employee. You're not an employee, but if you go to Tennessee, you're going to get forty five grand a year, no matter who you are. Top top athlete, bottom athlete, all eighty five scholarship football players, they get X amount. They get a salary. To come now, is, that a, is, that a, is that a floor or a ceiling? I that's what I don't know. Okay, because because I in a perfect world, you, if you if you're a capitalistic pig, which I am, um, you know, Bryce Young is worth more than like the fourth string offensive guard. That checks out. But then they, but like, again, this is where, (laughs) this is where they're asking for some amount of regulation. 
and again, keeping the amateur model intact without having to separate higher education from amateur athletics. How can they do that? Again, this is, they're trying to thread a really, really fine needle here. And that's why I think Saban's almost always right when he says, look, y'all come to Alabama. Everyone's going to get the exact same amount. It's going to be a lot more money than you used to get, but you're going to come bust your ass for Alabama and we're going to go win championships. And that's it. Right. Like I, I think it's going to be something, something that simple, but it's still going to be a vast change for college athletes that are going to make a lot more money than they used to. So hopefully well, it's equitable. Right. I certainly don't know the answer. I don't, I don't think really anybody knows the answer at this point. Um, Maybe the answer is that the the league and the sport needs um, a renegade player out there to accept one of these NLI deals that has nothing in the contract saying they have to go to a school um, and the wink, wink, nod, nod happens there and they just don't go. Like you said, Texas A&M player signs yeah. with a dealership in Tuscaloosa and they fly there every other week to make an appearance and they play for Texas A&M and they <laughs> screw over the school. And that's that's the key to getting these contracts figured out. That's my yeah. only guess. I Well, and I would like to think that like economics plays a role, but I don't think it does. That's what's weird about this is that if you like Nico Iamaleava goes to Tennessee for eight million dollars, reportedly, allegedly, and five-star quarterbacks are a 50-50 proposition. If he doesn't, if he's not good at football, you're probably not going to recoup your $8 million contract. Right. I don't know if that affects anybody. I don't think that keeps people from spending money because boosters are thirsty. They just want to win and they're willing to just like throw money in the toilet yes. at the at the chance of a five-star quarterback. Not even like actually a good player that maybe he is maybe he's not they are, they're know. spending money they're playing the lottery they're not making investments in the nasdaq right like they're playing with this money this this is money that is is fungible to them to the extent that they are fully willing and able to lose the investment and it not be yes not change the yes. way that they go with exactly. about their business all right. So speaking of Tennessee, Tennessee's been very good because of name, image, and likeness. Tennessee's recruiting like crazy. I get nothing but text messages all day from people like, "We got another one. We got another one." And I'm They're like, "Turn it up." Just, just like wait, like wait. Don't tell me about the recruiting process. Just show me the baby. You know what I mean? Like show me, <laughs> yeah. show me on on National Signing Day who's coming to Knoxville, and then show me how good they are on the field. But but they're mm. hot as heck on the recruiting trail. The collective Spry Sports is doing its job. It's working quite well. The offense was 38 points a game last year. They, they had a winning record. Hendon Hooker, one of the most efficient quarterbacks in all of college football. All of that is new stuff that yeah. Josh Heupel now has to deal with this summer that he didn't have to deal with last summer. Right. So how, would we, how should we define success for Tennessee football in 2022 on the field? Do you have an idea? Well, it's an, it's an interesting question because, like you said, they really didn't have expectations last year. Maybe the team did, but him as a coach – um, the expectations were don't be a totally incompetent baboon. And he wasn't, and he was, he exceeded those pseudo expectations with flying colors. And so now he's got some real expectations. So what are they? Um, I, I think it may be two different questions. I think maybe one is what are the expectations of the fan base um, absent reality? And what are the actual fair expectations for this team? So in terms of the fan base, and I don't have a great finger on the pulse of Tennessee football fans, but I, I would imagine if I was in their shoes, and I'm not a Tennessee fan, though I do I do follow and pay attention um, and, and love SEC football in general, I would expect them to want this team to at least be competitive for their division. 
Um, and, and I don't know if that's necessarily possible playing against some of these other teams. No. Um, I think from a realistic standpoint, it's, it's really not, but competitive really by com- maybe competitive. Is the hey, wrong man, word. About, no, no. I think it's the right word outside of Georgia. Okay. Yes. Like if you, if you and, take and by, Georgia off the yes. table. I think the expectation should be they should be expected to win against every team in their division. And then against Georgia, they should look like, oh, this is a team that's making they're getting closer. They're like these teams aren't as far apart as they have been in the past. That would be well, the expectation I think would be fair. I, I agree with that. And I think that is being com- that's being like balanced and competitive against Kentucky, who you beat last year on the road. They play them at home this year. Yep. Florida is at home this year and they only beaten Florida once in like 20 years. So but they've got a new coach. This is early in the season at home when they have a new coach is the they time to get Florida. absolutely should be beating that Florida, this Florida team. They should. Yes. Missouri, South Carolina, Vanderbilt are very winnable games. Yep. Um, I think on the road against LSU is a very tricky one. And then, of Always. course, and then, of course, Alabama, the over under is eight and a half. I, I think success is that they replicate their offensive production. They continue to recruit at a high level and they get to eight wins. That's under the Vegas total of eight and a half, mm-hmm. but I don't, th- I don't think you can ask the University of Tennessee football program to be perfect and to be per- like to be over eight and a half wins. They have to sort of be perfect. They have to win every game they're supposed to. I think and- it, I think it matters less about the number of wins and more about what the games look like because the University of Tennessee football has a reputation for really, really crapping the bed in games where they should be be you know, winning and maybe it's games they still win, but it's against nobody teams. It's supposed to be a throwaway early season game and it's competitive and it's just an embarrassment or they're playing against an Alabama where it's like, okay, Bama's going to win this game, but at least Tennessee will keep it close and they get beat by 40 points. So I think it matters less about, Oh, they won this many games. I think there's definitely like actually a scenario where, where Tennessee football wins nine games and it's like, Oh, but there's still that sour taste in your mouth. Oh, I, t- I totally where it's I, a I garbage totally can. I totally disagree. Although I think I, I I think you're right to assume that Tennessee fans will find the negative in everything. Uh, yes, I think I'm talking about true. how the meeting fan I think, expectations. I think nine and three, you're throwing a massive party at the end of the year. Even if you get smoked by Bama and Georgia, who right now are probably one and two in America, I I think I think nine and three, you hit the over on eight and a half, and you absolutely finish second. That means you beat. Probably everybody in your division. Maybe you lose to LSU, Bama, and Georgia, and that's it. Right. Probably beat Pittsburgh on the road. Like if you win at Pittsburgh at LSU, you beat Kentucky, you beat Florida. I to me that is a monumental success. Well, do you do do you disagree as strongly with the inverse of that, where there's a scenario where they win maybe seven games, but it's seen as a success of a season because those losses came in highly competitive games. They lost forty-four to forty at you know against Kentucky. They maybe they squeaked out a win again. Maybe they miraculously beat Georgia, and no. it's like, wow, they had a they had some great wins in there, and their losses were just heartbreakers, and they were really competitive in all of them. I mean, I'm a big believer in how you look matters in how we evaluate the job the coach did and the program did. Like, I'm a big believer in what you're saying in general. I do think that seven and five can be sold to people if it's the right seven and five. To your mm-hmm. point, I, I think one of those wins has to be Florida at that point. Um, right. But again, like who are the other losses? You got Bama, Georgia, LSU. Did you lose to, if you lose to Vandy, then no, nobody likes that seven and five. Clearly. Yeah. I mean, I think people like South Carolina. I don't, I think South Carolina has taken a big step back. So I think they should win that game on the road. But I think right now people wouldn't be super devastated by a road close loss to South Carolina. 
Um, I just think eight and four is the under Vegas, but better than last year. So at eight and four, you're baking in which losses? You're baking in a loss to Georgia. You're baking. Are you baking in one Bama. loss between Bama and then one loss between Kentucky or LSU or LSU and Florida? Well, the three would be LSU, Georgia, Bama. Those three, because I think LSU is going to be much better than people think. Okay. So those three, it's on the road in Baton Rouge. I know it's middle of October, I think. And then going one and one against Kentucky and Florida? I just think they lose one other game somewhere. Right. Okay. At, at Pittsburgh is not, an, a, not, is not an not easy the, game in week two. Yeah. I, but I, I think you're right to say it needs to be about what it looks like. Because, again, they averaged – they gave up almost 5.8 yards per play on defense in SEC play last year. That's exactly what they gave up under Jeremy Pruitt. So right. he, while, while the offense was significantly improved, and everyone saw a much better team, a, a professionally coached team by an adult, unlike Jeremy Pruitt. Then I think, I, I, I think there's some things that were wrong with the team last year that got washed away because of everyone's excitement about being good on offense, right? And, and the defense still has a ton of questions. And so, mm-hmm. can you stop all the different players? I mean, there's a lot of good quarterbacks on this schedule. <laughs> there's a lot of good quarterbacks. I think the mock draft we talked about it on Thursday last week. We, I saw a mock draft from McShay that had Anthony Richardson at Florida and Will Levis at Kentucky going top 10 at quarterback in the, in, wow. in the NFL draft. There are, this is one of the best quarterbacks, uh, groups of quarterbacks I've seen in the SEC and in the country in a long time. Right. So there's, they're going to be, Hendon Hooker is going to have to play great. So the offense has to be as good. The defense needs to be better. And you have to play near perfectly everywhere else to get to that eight and four. That's why I think eight and four is, is a really good, if you get to eight and four, I don't even care how it looks. I think you did your job. I think that's successful. Okay. Especially, especially if you're recruiting the same way you're doing right now. Right. Right. Cause that's, that might actually be more important than, which is bonkers. The if they keep up this level of recruiting, then it's just a matter of time, regardless of, as long as the coaching is incompetent, right? right. If you continue to get right. this level of talent, you're going to succeed. If they are seven and five and have a top 10 class and they beat Florida, I, I bet you Tennessee fans are very, very happy. It's not a great year, but it's not a bad year. It's a, it's a, it's, it is a good year. It's still a forward step. It's a step that, in the right direction. Absolutely. That's, that's the key there. So, uh, all right, Easton, thank you so much for hanging out and filling in for Zach today, man. Yeah. What, what, tell everybody where they can find you, where they can hear you, where they can read you, all that great stuff. Uh, tell everybody. Yeah, so I'm the co-host of the Hot Read podcast, rebranded from the Titans 10, now an official affiliate of the 440 Podcast Network Ooh. right here. We are listening to this. Um, me and James Foster, we are the hosts. James Foster, you probably know him better as No Flags Film on Twitter, YouTube, and Patreon. He's an awesome, awesome resource for all things football. He's my X's and O's go-to guy. He's so much smarter than you or I or anybody when it comes to these things. Um, and so him I'm insulted. and I, I'm insulted. Listen, I like, I'm just telling you, he's smarter than both of us. He is when it comes to the X's and O's of football and he's really brilliant. And I, I love having him on the show now. So him and I co-host that and we're kind of the yin and yang. And I think you'd really enjoy it. So go listen to that on the Broadway sports media podcast network here with 440 partnered. And then you can read me at broadwaysportsmedia.com. Um, I'm also the, the director of published content over there. So we're, we're doing just in general, Broadway sports media, 440, both doing really exciting things. I, I know that behind the scenes, we have some big plans coming up for this Uh-oh. next football season. Um, so just, just tune in both networks on the rise here in the Nashville media market. And I, I again, thank you so much for having me on. It's yeah, a man. pleasure. Anytime Zach, I'm sorry that I set the bar for hosting so high for you and that I'm taking your game check, but I'm making wow. out like a bandit. Good wow. luck on Thursday coming back. But uh, for real, feels feel, feel better 
Um, and I'm happy to come on anytime you guys need me. I love it. Shots fired at the end of the program. <laughs> I really enjoy that. That's obviously my favorite part is uh, giving you go. Zach a hard time. Uh, of course, make sure you listen to Zach Football and other F-words at right. F-words Pod on Twitter. Of course, you can read him at Broadway Sports as well. All the other great shows across the network. You got the Gold Standard covering the Preds. Club and Country, Wes and Tim, those guys are doing a great job covering Nashville SC. Now two matches in at uh, Geodis Park there. Um, Lamestream Sports. Win. Yeah, there you go. Lame, I took my five-year-old uh, on Sunday. She loved it. So, so Lamestream Lame Stream Sports every Friday about Nashville sports media and business. We had Mel Kuyper on last week, so make sure you check that out if you're a big media nerd like I am. Uh, and, of course, you've got Fringe Element covering SEC football. So if you want more of this SEC football talk, uh, more name, image, and likeness, and lots of other stuff. We're going to dive into a lot of that on the Fringe Element podcast this week as well. So make sure you're tuned into all of that stuff. Uh, I'll be on. I'm hosting Fine Bomb this week, so check that out on Wednesday. Oh, that's big. So maybe Zach can like uh, critique me on Thursday's episode. Other than that, thanks to Cast Collective, which is not where we're sitting right now, but is normally our studio. So make sure you check them out. I'm almost done paying bill, bills here, but how can we forget the Kingston Group, BuildKG.com. So make sure you check them out as well. That's BuildKG.com. For Easton Freeze, my name is Braden Gall. Thank you guys for hanging out. Hopefully Zach is back on Thursday. We'll talk to you then. This has been a football show right here.